All right, Guru Nation, we are live. How's it going? Thank you so much for tuning in early on Veterans Day. Thank you to all the veterans that served our country. Wanted to do a live stream really early, actually. I know Brad, Brad Hightower is doing one a little bit later. Um, I know I'll be watching. Who knows? Maybe even I'll jump on. Depends what he's doing and what I'm doing. But yeah, I wanted to get up early and do it. And actually I have some like a really good article that I've been meaning to discuss. And it'd be good to have. Um, I mean, let's put this ticker underneath. Clinical research is booming. It'd be good to have a discussion <clears throat> with Guru Nation. So Facebook, how's it going? Maggie, good morning. Nice to see you. Um, I wanted to thank my sponsor, Viva, Viva Systems. And they really want to get the word out about Viva Site Vault. And I don't work with just any sponsor, okay? Like Viva, I'm really fortunate to be able to have them as a sponsor. They are one of the only like handful of companies I would even consider allowing to sponsor this channel and penetrate your eyeballs and your eardrums when it comes to sponsorship. They're trying to change the industry. I mean, speaking of, of the next wave of biotech innovation, technology is integrated into it. And what they're doing for sites, they're doing site-centric stuff. So it's free, no contract involved. It's one place to work with sponsors. So Viva Site Vault. Easily exchange study info through a single application. Connected to more than 400 sponsors and CROs that use Viva clinical applications. Sponsors and CROs have been using for decades already Viva applications. So 450 plus sponsors are already using Viva. They're paying for it, right? 4,500 sites are using Viva Site Vault. Most of them for free. Some of them have the paid product. Honestly, they're not trying to get you to buy anything. They just want you to become aware of the tech. So it empowers you to manage your studies better. Let me tell you, let me bring this home after I read what they offer. So right now it's e-reg for free. 21 CFR Part 11 compliant, digital signatures, remote monitoring, digital delegation, workflows, reports and dashboards, such as what's expiring, uh, e-consent. If the sponsors use the e-consent, you can have it. The e-consent is not, by default, it's not something you can use. Uh, and enterprise add-on, these are where you could start paying for the products. But as far as like remote monitoring, I mean, that's like, 90% of what sites are going to need. Digital delegation. Free. All this stuff free. I have a closeout visit coming up. I actually have two closeout visits coming up. And the monitor had no clue that we even use EREC. And so they wanted it because it's two protocols. The study's ending early. They've never monitored us. We've only had four screen fails in the study. It's a really tough study. So they're closing us down. And the monitor wanted to come out. This just happened this week. The monitor wanted to come out and do, because it's two protocols, they wanted to do two days back-to-back -back of closeout visits. 
And I said, no, why? We only have four screen fails in one study, zero screen fails in the other, and everything's electronic, unregulatory. Why would you come out? And then they went back and forth and they said, hey, you know what? We didn't realize you're fully electronic. Like, yeah, we don't need to come out, actually. We can do full remote closeout visits. So imagine having this capability for your site for free. Okay. For free. So Viva Site Vault, check it out underneath my video. Now, and thank you, Viva, for sponsoring this. Now, onto the comments and then onto the article. And I have a way I have a way to present to share my screen uh, as far as the article is concerned. Because this there's actually been two really good articles written this week by Stat Stat News. And I usually don't even read these kind of articles. Um, they're usually like industry propaganda or they're meant for investors. And I do my own fair share of investing. So I get into that. But I know Guru Nation's not always into that. But both of these have clinical research, like practical applications. So we're going to get into it. But let's get into some of these comments first. Who's here? Who's here? Let's see. Maggie. Maggie's our thank you from Facebook, like probably one of the only people on Facebook watching right now. Dr. Shri Hari, how's it going? Muhammad, good morning. LinkedIn user just acquired your book. Thank you. Looking forward to learning more from it. You will. I really hope you will. This is the overview. This is the macro overview of what you need to know in the industry and this will tell you like you know that cliche you don't know what you don't know this will tell you what you don't know so that you can dive deeper into it somewhere else because look it's not that big right so there's no way you're going to learn everything about the industry here but you're going to learn everything that's important it's going to tell you where to go dig deeper and then if you want to dig a little bit deeper we have our audiobook which we read the book and like every two sentences, we actually, Chris and I, my co-author, we go off script and we discuss, like, we dig deeper for you a little bit. So thank you so much for that book's three years strong now. And it's still selling consistently with almost no marketing. Gabriella Crass, good morning. My, my, my Canadian colleagues, I'm glad you get to interact with one of my really good digital marketing colleagues, Ivan, Yvonne, Fred, how's it going? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Another Facebook. Thank you, for Maggie, for the book, for shout out. Good morning. Okay, so thank you. Thank you again, Yat, Nikki, everybody. Thank you. So ask questions. This is going to be, um, I think, a motivational live stream and if you're listening later or watching later i'm going to have the link to this article underneath so let me see if i could share it it's been a while since i've shared on this live stream tell me if you guys can see it okay tell me if you get okay you guys can see this right but this so this is the link here Stat, stat news, this is biology century. So 
this is the article where I made a TikTok and I, I, I made a LinkedIn short and it got a little bit of traction from the community of why costs have been going up so much in our space. And I mean, we're, we've gone from like 10 K per patient for a clinical trial that sponsors have to pay for like in the eighties to 500 K now. And some people are arguing, well, these numbers are inflated that that's the cost of a patient going from phase one to phase three. That's not true. I mean, I understand the logic, but that's not true. First of all, most studies with investigational products, let's say a patient joined a phase two study, and let's say that phase two study is successful enough to go to phase three, that phase three study is going to specifically say like 99% of the time, anyone who has had exposure to the investigational product or was in a study of, with the same investigational product in the past is excluded. So all these people posting comments, they're pro CRO people saying, no, 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 these inflated costs are not from CROs. You're wrong. This is not the cost of one patient from preclinical to commercialization. This is the cost of one patient in a clinical trial. It's 500K now when you add all the tech, mainly all the tech, the CRO, I mean, I met uh, Daniel. I met Daniel Perez yesterday from Worldwide Clinical Trials. I, it's not the first time I met him, but he came over, toured my site, toured Judy's site, Sun Valley Research Center. He works what he calls the dark side now at a CRO, and he works at a good CRO. There's so much waste in our industry, and he's not talking about his CRO. He's talking about back in his time at academia, at site levels. And you know how a lot of AMCs are integrated with CROs as well. There's just hundreds of thousands of dollars of unbilled tests just sitting there. Like there's just so much waste going on in our space, even before the tech comes into play. So I wanted to get your thoughts. Good afternoon from the United Kingdom. Thank you. Good morning from Florida. If if it's morning in Florida, it's definitely morning in Arizona. Let me tell you. So good morning. So, okay. This article is actually long. All right. I'm not going to read it to you because you guys can read well. Uh, the last decade was a golden age of drug discovery. So this article actually outlines like really well and it's really well researched and well written the crux of the article is medicine it's not even about clinical trials it's about biotech but clinical research is integrated into it medicine's infrastructure problem so to understand the scale of the problem consider how much data researchers need to amass to prove a medicine is truly effective the cholesterol drugs known as statins are among the most prescribed medicines in the country, and even so, public health experts say more people should be taking them to prevent heart attacks and strokes. Lipitor is the most used drug in America, but it took a gigantic amount of research to establish statins' benefits. The first statin originated from fungal broths 
in 86. The first evidence of statins prevent second heart attacks uh, came from a 4,444 patient study of a Merck drug. Some of you guys watching and listening are old enough to have worked on that study. So I'd be curious to hear from you guys. Um, proving a medicine like this works means randomly giving thousands of people either the drug or placebo and counting heart attacks, strokes, episodes of chest pain. Um, this is a bottleneck enrolling people in studies and counting their heart attacks. The core technology is not the drug molecule, but randomization, randomly assigning patients to get one thing or another. So let's read that again. Even in the 80s, the core technology is not the drug molecule which sounds crazy when you think about how much work goes into molecule and drug discovery. The core technology is the randomization process. All right. This is the only way researchers can be sure that people who get the drug live longer and the outcome is not due to chance. Over 20 years, researchers conducted 27 different statin trials involving 174,000 patients. The studies showed the drugs reduced the risk of death. The benefits of running these trials were huge. One analysis estimates that the development of these drugs meant there were 40,000 fewer deaths, 60,000 fewer hospitalizations, saving society $1.3 trillion while generating $300 billion in revenue for drug makers. So everyone, everyone who's anti-big pharma, and sometimes I'm definitely in that camp, if you're saving society 1.3 trillion and in that same time period you're generating 300 billion, that's a value add. In my opinion, you deserve that 300 billion in revenue. All right. But over time, the cost per patient in these studies has gone up, as has the number of patients in each study. What this article is not even talking about is what organizations like Latinos and Colunga Research are trying to address the diversity issue. And what Daniel, people like Daniel are being hired at CROs to solve these problems. When 85% of study participants are Caucasians, but then the drugs are prescribed to African Americans, Latinos, and everyone else, and it may not work the same in everyone else, that's a problem. And that's actually cutting into how much it could be actually saving society. So this is how we make the diversity issue pragmatic. And this article didn't even cover that. So th my point is, whatever this article is saying, it's actually, there's more issues than this if you look under the hood. Good morning from Texas, Segun. Good morning, Jennifer. How's it going? So let me know your thoughts underneath, but let's go. Let's go a little bit through this. Certainly the cost of clinical trials has become so outrageous that we have to do something to change it. This is why there's a push for decentralized trials. But remember when there was a push for virtual trials before COVID? And if anything, COVID was supposed to expedite that. Well, they realized that it's not so easy to find patients. So they've pivoted to decentralized clinical trials. What they're quickly discovering is that you need site buy-in. You need site participation. My sponsor, Viva, understands this. Viva is site-centric. They've focused their – they have all the tech. They're a tech company first. They're a product company first. They're really focused on making good, good products. 
and they understand, hey, the site infrastructure is so fragmented. In order to provide a value add to the sponsors already using our our products, we need to empower the sites. Good morning, Christine Naro, Latinos in Clinical Research Ambassador. I got good announcement for you for you guys privately soon during our next meeting. You guys are gonna love it. Um okay, here's here's the thing. Here's like the headline for our industry. He remembers when he started, it cost ten thousand per patient to conduct a clinical trial. So you guys that were commenting, oh, you're wrong, Dan. This is like you're gaslighting. I'm not. You can argue. Don't argue with me. Argue with George Yankopoulos. He's probably way smarter than me. I've never been featured in stat news. He has. All right. He remembers when it when he started. It cost ten thousand per patient to conduct a clinical trial. Now it can cost five hundred thousand. Just think how expensive that can be. It really limits what we can do. So no wonder there's this push for DCT. The problem is, I don't necessarily think more tech is the solution. I think more pragmatic tech is the solution. I think Viva understands some of this. Empowering sites is the solution. Not eliminating sites. Right? Which is what early days of virtual trials in DCT. I don't care what anyone tells you. Oh, DCT, we're not trying to eliminate the site. Come on. We can read between the lines. The early days of DCT, that was the selling point. It may no longer be. So you're going to, like sponsors, you're going to have to work with sites. Okay. And then this article, look, let's see what else. COVID. They talk about COVID and how quickly the vaccine was rolled out, right? I actually think COVID was a, they dropped the ball, industry at large. Industry had a chance to win over the general public, win over their trust um, without getting too much into the vaccine. It was a lot of squandered opportunities. And yes, we were able to get products out quickly. And yes, it showed the potential for the mRNA technology. And the fr- I believe in this framework. But the way it was implemented, and okay, you can say, hey, you know what, it was an emergency and all that. I get it. It showed pharma what's possible. But I think we took a step back with pub- as far as public trust is concerned. At the end of the day. At the end of the day. So this section goes into covid then it gets into tech. So is there a high-tech solution? One of its biggest proponents was current FDA commissioner Robert Califf. Uh, this is his second term. Decades later, Califf is still pushing for bigger, simpler trials. He made the need for better data and higher standards, the point of many of his first public addresses. Um, they're talking about integrating data from an electronic medical record standpoint all the way through to the study deliverable. So EMRs, EHRs, all the way through eSource, EREG, the stuff Viva's doing, all the way to EDC, all the way to clinical study reports. Like they want all this integrated. So it's it's 
easier and quicker and more efficient to actually get the data and then to analyze the data. Uh, I don't think the systems of the future can get rid of randomizations. I think we need to be very thoughtful about when we randomize and be systematic about it. So there's, we're not really going to see a huge change in the next decade or two to the double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trial. That's still going to be the gold standard. The easy way out is dangerous. Uh, it's nice that Verily is thinking in terms of creating randomized trials, not simply large databases. But now, until health tech companies have seemed set on doing the opposite, uh, Flatiron was sold to Roche in 2018. A spate of other real-world evidence companies emerged. The data they provide are invaluable. So these are like those real-world evidence trials where they try to do, like, it's basically EMR and then following a patient in an EMR um, until some outcome occurs. So it's like doing a study uh, passively, but you can only collect so much data. And it could give doctors insights into how treatments in the real world differs from what happens in studies. But the push from drug companies has been to use real world evidence as a replacement for good clinical trials. Too often, Congress seems to support this. There's rightful outrage that research still doesn't move fast enough, especially for rare diseases like ALS. There's a lot of, there's a like huge explosion actually in the rare disease space, even before COVID in the last decade. Drugs that are not ultimately demonstrated to be sufficiently safe and effective are of no use to patients. Um, but no matter how much Congress or the president wants to back new research, there's never any emphasis on making clinical trials better or easier to conduct. And this is really the problem. This is the things that myself, Brad, a lot of people on LinkedIn at the site level are always complaining about. Um, the idea that you're looking for cancer and then you find it in itself I don't see it as a meaningful endpoint. So the whole point of this article, then they talk about CAR-T, um, one of the most amazing biotech advances of the last decade. And we're still, we're still actually looking into immunotherapy in the oncology space. The fact that it's still not approved for adults with chronic lymphocytic leukemia, it turned out the treatment was less effective than some other blood cancers and new drugs became available. Um, the problem with this is industry, government, and academia need to do a better job of making sure that patients are left, aren't left behind because the right study, the right way to structure the data is not being conducted. Large health systems even need insurers to get into the business of conducting clinical trials, especially in oncology. This is biology century. Medical miracles are going to keep emerging but biology isn't fair or predictable or easy to understand. To take advantage of what is about to happen, indeed, to make sure that new technologies do more good than harm, we need better evidence. It's not just that we need to do what we're doing better. We as a society need to change our understanding of what is true and what is not. The world's going to be transformed. We can't let our thinking about it fall behind. So basically, the whole point of that article is clinical research is inefficient. We can't get rid of double-blind clinical trials. We need sites. We need more patients. We need more diversity. And we have all this tech. All right, we have mRNA platform. We have immunotherapy. We have CRISPR technology. We have all these things. We have rare diseases. We have pro-drugs where we're taking FDA's incentivizing old, already approved drugs 
that can be repurposed for other conditions that are lacking approved treatments. We have safety data. We just need efficacy data. All these things depend on tech, depend on sites. Bottom line for all this is everyone watching, everyone listening, it's benefiting all of us career-wise. And we're all tasked with making this industry. We're all tasked with playing our part in making this industry more efficient. And at the end of the day, we're all patients too. Like we all depend. I often joke with my employees and colleagues like, hey, I'm actually doing this for my future self to have access to better treatments. And it's a joke, but it's actually true. Like, and really we all are. Like we're all patients at the end of the day. Like Alzheimer's is a real scary thing. Diabetes is a real scary thing. Obesity is a real scary thing. Metabolic disorders, cardio, heart disease, cancer, right? We need to rare disease. One out of 10 people have a rare disease. So we are all affected by this beyond our careers. But obviously, if, we, if we're more short-sighted and we look at our careers, we're in the right industry to be. For a number of reasons, career-wise, opportunity-wise, but also we we have the opportunity and the blessing to be working on our own our own future treatments. So that's my motivation Friday for you on veterans, and a lot of people have been asking me to talk a little more about that article. There's another article I want to read about Academia's Exodus, also from Stat News. The two are kind of related. Like, we're entering a biotech revolution, and Academia's role is less important. I know people are going to hate me. I have nothing against people at Academia. I actually think there's a lot of benefits to Academia. These studies are complex. There's often x-ray vendors, ophthalmology vendors, MRI vendors, other imaging vendors. Whatever study you have, it's unusual to not need a vendor for one of the clinical assessments. I'm not talking about vendors like a EDC and an IRT and an EPRO. I'm talking about actual vendors that where patients go. Like, hey, this patient... In the study, they need an MRI and they also need an eye exam or they need a bone scan um, or they need a colonoscopy or they need to see a pain specialist or they need to see a counselor. Like there's a lot of vendors required in these studies. AMCs actually have one of the benefits of AMC is all these things are under one roof. One of the disadvantages of smaller sites is all these things are fragmented and scattered all over the place. And I know as a small site owner, one of our disadvantages is when we outsource to a vendor, let's say an imaging vendor like X-Ray, we can't control that vendor as much as we can control our own staff because they're not our staff. AMCs can, and those are, their vendors are in-house. But it's a shame the amount of red tape, bureaucracy, and waste that has gone on at these AMCs to where even despite that advantage, 
the exodus is still occurring and sponsors have been increasingly turning to private research. So, okay. Any questions, comments, let me know. Clinical research is definitely booming. Ask me questions. Get pumped. Good morning, Sagoon. Are people like Viva CDMS more than metadata rave? So metadata is a private company. Um, I think they're owned by a company in Europe, like a big conglomerate in Europe. I can't remember the name. Viva is publicly traded. They're, Viva is like the same size as one of the big CROs as far as market cap. Viva, I, I think people forget how ingrained Viva is with sponsors. Like, they don't know. I just learned this. Like, I was, I just learned this a few weeks ago, actually. Viva also is ingrained in the sales of sponsors. Like, they provide the tech that empowers the sales reps to go out. So, this is why. When they say, hey, we work with 450 plus sponsors, they actually work with somewhere in the thousands of sponsors. But when they say that to research sites, they're not counting the sales side and commercialization side. They're just counting research. So they're, Viva's well connected and they're trying, they understand that they need to bring the sites into the mix because once you can capture the sites, I mean, this is where the data originates this is where the source data originates we have to empower the sites it's extremely powerful they're playing the long game christine how's it going the salt thank you gary the salt is the company that owns metadata thank you so career-wise this article like if you were thinking about oh will ai replace my job as a cra will dct displace my site the answer is maybe but that should open up so many more opportunities not just for things we haven't even thought of but also it should just do more we should be able to do more studies like the crux of that whole article was we're so far ahead on the science side on biotech that the actual infrastructure of how we conduct these studies is decades behind. In other words, our infrastructure and in clinical research, we cannot keep up with the, with the demand that biotech's cranking out, that sponsors are cranking out. So even if they trial this DCT and let's throw in AIs, which I don't think is going to happen that anytime soon, by the way, but even if they start implementing that, all it's going to do is create more demand for the kind of studies we're doing. And it's going to integrate the tech. Like there's, we can be doing way more studies than we are. The rate determining step is the tech empowering the sites, honestly, and empowering actually doing the study. It's not the science. Gary says, what can we do differently with patient reported outcomes technology serve? Oh, this could go on forever. First of all, the tech has to be good. Like a lot of these CROs, they charge sponsors. They know that sponsors love data. So all these e-pros, you know, this become like 
the Sierra selling point is this is now a value add. Hey, sponsor, we have electronic patient reported at outcomes. So in the name of patient centricity, we're going to put an app on patients' phones and we're going to make it a part of the protocol that every day they answer a diary so that we could collect more data. Sounds good, right? Sponsor and sponsors, of course, we need more data. This is, we can do so much if we have, we could do so much more if we have more data. The problem is it's burdening the patient and it's burdening the site when the tech is not good. As actual user of these things, take 10 coordinators out there. I guarantee you nine or maybe even 10 of them will say, yeah, these ePros suck. Like, they just don't work. They glitch out on our patients. We prefer paper diaries. Back in my day when I started research, we had also, we had patient reported outcomes. They were not electronic. We had patients do surveys when they came into the office. In addition to the other assessments we did, we would collect economic patient reported outcomes, different kind of patient reported outcomes on paper. We wouldn't burden the patient. They were already there getting paid for the visit. Boom, here's a survey. It takes five minutes to fill out. These ePros, in theory, they're not burdening the patients. They only take a minute to do, two minutes to do. The problem is when the tech doesn't work and the app is glitchy and it's not user-friendly and the patient is confused. Did they do it right? Did they not do it right? I didn't get an alert today. I did get an alert today. I did it. I got an alert, but I did it. I didn't do it and I didn't get an alert. It's just not consistent. It's not good. Again, my sponsor. That's why I'm so happy to have my sponsor, Viva. They've got ePros too. They're working. I have yet to use a Viva ePro, as to my knowledge. But the more sites they can get using their site vault, they're already connected with the sponsors. So then the sponsors can just turn on their ePros. And then the sites are already using it. The sites already have access to it, so it's less training. And then they can have the patients do I mean, I'm against ePros, more or less, personally. Like, I think the tech needs to catch up before we start burdening our patients with it. But we need more vendors, like, who actually focus on product first. Right? And not profit first. LinkedIn user says, at this rate, I wonder if tech access will be part of inclusion-exclusion. It's not just access. I mean, these days, most people in the United States have access. I think there's a gap between, especially from the older demographic. It's not even a, it's not even a economic financial dem. Um, it's not even a financial barrier anymore. It's really like a user training. And some of these things, like I'm fairly tech savvy. I get frustrated using these ePros when I'm trying to program it for patients. Daniel Fox, it already is, buddy. Access the net. Oh, so Daniel Fox, I don't know if you're, maybe Daniel Fox is one of these LinkedIn users. If Daniel Fox is on here, shout out to you, Daniel Fox. People apparently can see you. I can't, don't know what's happening. See, tech, it doesn't always work well. 
look, it's showing me LinkedIn user where it's showing people. Obviously, Daniel Fox is here somewhere. So that's like a negligible example of what our patients have to deal with on a daily basis. Like we have one ePro where it requires like five different things from the patient on a given day. And the app doesn't tell them when they already completed something. So when they go back to the menu to do the next thing, they still see the previous thing. I know because I tested it out on myself. And it's confusing for me, a millennial. Imagine how it's going to be for a elder somebody in the geriatric demo. Hey, Dan, I'm the mystery LinkedIn user. Not sure why it's coming up like that. Still don't know who you are, but I'm assuming Dr. Fox. <laughs> In speaking with our investigators, the tech had made visits far less efficient than they were 10 years ago. They, they report being only able to see half the patients they used to. Yeah. And we need to change that. We need to change that. Obviously, tech, look, we need it to empower more trials. It's going to, the backlog of the opportunities for us in research to do more studies, like it's there. This is why I don't fear tech. Like tech, oh, tech is going to replace CRAs. Tech is going to replace sites. No. Tech is going to open up the floodgates for these sponsors to do more studies. Or they're going to need more sites. They need more patients. They need more diversity. You think they're going to get that from some Instagram influencer? No, they're going to get it from community clinicians. This is what Daniel Perez was talking about. We're empowering more community clinicians who are actually seeing these real-world patients. That's one of his roles at his CRO. <laughs> this is Daniel Fox. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if the tech could be more efficient if its execution selection was controlled by sites who use it. I think, Dr. Fox, that's, in my opinion, I think it's wishful thinking. I think that sounds good on paper, but this is not site's core competency. I think we're better off giving it to the handful of vendors that industry already trusts and that are product-first companies. Again, this is why I'm happy to have Viva as a sponsor. They're one of them. There's a few others out there. I don't think it's CROs. I think CROs actually benefit from inefficiencies. Right? And when they come out with tech, they're not product-first companies. CROs are not product-first companies. Think about that. I wish sites were at the point where they could create tech and it was controlled by the sites who use it. In a way, I think Viva is doing that with SiteVault. And I think it will eventually, once they get enough adoption, their, their thesis is to empower sites. So you're probably right, like we're headed in that direction, but we're nowhere near that right now.
as long as tech is developed in silos, we still have massive problems with tech. This is Ted Trafford. I don't know why all these LinkedIn users now. StreamYard, you need to fix your tech. I agree. I agree. And I think there's a few players that have the financial incentive to make trials efficient. And I think there's a few players that have incentive to keep the status quo. Without getting in any more trouble, I'll let you guys connect the dots. We'll leave it open for questions a little bit longer. Then I'm going to have to go. But this was a good Monday. What is the best way to reach out to you about collaboration? On LinkedIn. Just reach out on LinkedIn. If, if I feel like my bandwidth is not there, which most of the time it's not, I have to be really picky about who I collaborate with now. Like the companies that I have already committed to, I'm having a hard enough time like just making our internal calls. So when it comes to like exploratory calls with outside, like it's, I'm going to be honest with you, it's very tough for me to do right now. But reach out to me because I can connect you with people. I can maybe jump on a call. I could we can shoot ideas off of each other. We're all in this together. Like I'm a site owner. I'm a patient. I want these treatments for myself and my family. I'd like to think that I played a part. And that's long term and short term I'm a business owner. And I think this kind of stuff it is going to help my business outcomes too. I think that's it, guys. Stay tuned for Brad Hightower's live later. I might get on. I forgot what time it was. One of the reasons I'm on so early, Brad, if you're watching, I didn't want to go live at the same time as you. So... I think you're coming up soon, actually. So I might still be here. But yeah, thank you guys for joining me on a holiday. Early. Really early. Uh, like, subscribe, comment, share. If you're watching this later, links underneath the show notes. If you're listening, thank you so much. Link underneath the show notes. Happy Veterans Day. Thank you to everyone who served and thank you to everyone who's working in this industry and is passionate about it. Thank you to Viva for sponsoring. Catch you all later. Have a good weekend.